Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the program. Sandy and Sean, that's Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. Joining us is our friend Aaron Anderson from Fox 31. You can follow him on social media at Aaron Anderson. That's A-R-R-A-N and Anderson with an S-E-N. Always good to talk to you, uh, Aaron. Usually the we'd like the situations to be better, but for the Denver Broncos at the end of the year, this is just kind of what you get. Eight without the playoffs, seven straight losing seasons for the Broncos now. The quarterback carousel completely underway could you envision at the beginning of the year this Broncos season ending the way it did? I will read to you very briefly what I had read to Sandy earlier in uh, the program. In the AFC rankings alone, the Broncos this year finished 12th. The year before, 14th. The year before that, 13th. The year before that, 2020, 12th. This is just kind of where the Broncos are. Have they actually made real progress, or do you think this team kind of spun its wheels? Well, first and foremost, I think we should uh, each pour ourselves some lattes, Sean Payton's lattes, and just toast the fact that this roller coaster ride is over. What a what a workout this season was, from the one and five start to the five game winning streak to dropping four of the next six, and here we are with an eight and nine record. Uh, on the surface, I think you have to say there has been improvement. I mean, my gosh, they won three more games this year than last year, but boy, it, it, there certainly is a sinking feeling knowing what lies ahead, which is, once again, this franchise is in quarterback purgatory as the search for the replacement for Peyton Manning continues. And as much as Sean Payton wanted to see a spark from Jared Stidham, I don't believe we saw it. Today, Jared said he he hopes he's the guy next year, and, and frankly, what we saw the last two weeks I don't think did anything more than convince a lot of us that he's just another guy who plays quarterback. Uh, He's nice backup. You know, he's, he's 27 years old. He's been around. He's been in different systems. Uh, he, he seems to be uh, a reasonably fast learner, uh, although I was a little puzzled yesterday on the telecast why the uh, analyst felt that uh, O'Connell was so far behind in his ability to grasp the Raiders' offense as opposed to uh, Stidham here in Denver when – O'Connell's had as much exposure to the Raider offense as Stidham has had uh, to the Peyton offense. And on the basis of performance yesterday, O'Connell was far better uh, than Stidham uh, and supposedly playing a defense that uh, at least now is just as good as the Raiders defense. Uh, The Raiders defense improved more than the Bronco defense, but that's a subject for another day. Um, As you look back uh, on this season, uh, I'm just – going off the top of my head here, but there are about eight Bronco coaches who didn't have losing seasons in their first year, including Jack Faulkner from the battle days of the AFL in 1962 when the Broncos went 7-7. Seven and seven. And I'm talking about Red Miller and Dan Reeves and Wade Phillips and Mike Shanahan and Josh McDaniels, for goodness sake. Uh, John Fox, uh, Gary Kubiak, we know about. Uh, eight and nine 
if that's some kind of standard for improvement here, wow. Uh, because even with what appears to be a more favorable schedule next year, at least in terms of NFC opposition, you're getting the NFC South, which everybody knows is uh, the worst division uh, in the league, at least right now. But where do they go from here? I mean, you, you don't have a quarterback. You have a bad salary cap situation. And you have six draft picks and no second rounder. How yeah, do you get I'm better? Gonna, I'm going to steal a line from Frank Drebin uh, ah. from Police mm-hmm. Squad, which was uh, it's fourth and ten, and we're looking at a full court press. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this, this this is a it's a bizarre scenario, guys. I mean, look, you, you want to feel good about where this franchise is, and you, you have to you have to admit that based on what Sean Payton inherited and what we saw from Nathaniel Hackett, it, it has been an improvement, but the unknown is staggering. And as you laid out so succinctly, you don't have any draft capital. You have limited cap space. You have the, this ominous $85 million in dead cap money just hanging over your head. And again, you've got Ben DiNucci, who, by the way, announced today he's returning. He broke the news on social media. Oh, and wonderful. Got oh on Taylor. social media. Really? Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, here you, you'd, you'd like to – I think you'd like to be able to look at bits and pieces, and you, you certainly could say, hey, special teams got better. But on the whole – Yes, they did. When you, when, no, no doubt. When you look at, no doubt that's when you look at the big picture, though, it's hard not to just have this dim view of, of what lies ahead for the next two years because, I mean, this, this really is uncharted territory, yet it's familiar territory. Once again, the Broncos find themselves searching for the next guy – to, to lead this team back to relevance. And uh, I, I don't believe either guy on the roster is capable of doing that. Where they go, I don't know. But uh, once again, the offseason is here, and uh, the Broncos, like the rest of us, are going to be watching the playoffs from their couches. The guy that I feel the, the most for is Justin Simmons, who's been here for all of that. You know, Drafted in 2016 yeah. after the game, he said, it hurts, it stinks, it's a bitter feeling right now. It hurts to go out like that, especially when you wanted to win. Uh, always positive. He also added there's definitely positives for the season, but there were definitely goals that weren't hit. And, and I think when you take a look at that, you think about a guy like Justin Simmons, he's going to be starting his ninth year next year. He's not a, not a young player. He's the best player the Broncos have. He's their most significant player by a mile. The defense almost single-handedly improved when he returned yeah. and fell apart when he wasn't on the field. So, I mean, he's, sure. our, he's the Broncos' most important player, but the idea that the Sean Payton is going to try to rebuild on the fly. That's the idea, right? Because Payton said flat out at the beginning of the season, if this wasn't a playoff team, he'd be upset. Well, it's not a playoff team. Presumably he's upset. Uh, he benched a starting quarterback. They have major questions about being able to bring back a Lloyd Cushenberry, their starting center. What do they want to do with Garrett Bowles? They have a lot of players that could be playing their last game. What do you do with Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy? Do you try to trade either? What could you get? Some of this revolves around we don't really know what Sean Payton wants. And you, when last time you were on here, you suggested that the idea of keeping George Payton would buy Sean Payton another year of avoiding accountability. You said that last time you were on, and ev- I've thought about it every single day since you were on, and I've been looking through that lens, and I'm thinking that's exactly what's going to happen, isn't it? Because when the Broncos can't build a roster because of the dead cap money that you've explain whether it's over one year or two years it's going to limit their ability to gain positions especially a quarterback to assign to, to assign top tier free agents that's going to limit their ability to do so 
And so mm-hmm. the idea that they're going to be jumping from third place in the AFC West to a playoff spot, they were 12th. Seven teams make the playoffs. They were 12th again. It's a monumental climb, and they're not even past the Raiders, who have now beaten them for four straight years, eight straight. In the, the 20s. They're every a year. long way away here, and it feels almost impossible that this can be turned around in next fall's situation. So do you feel the same way, that George Payton probably returns, maybe not because he's the guy to architect their way out of it, but because he's a fall guy for Sean Payton? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a plausible avenue, and, and I'm very curious because the two Paytons and potentially George uh, Greg Penner will meet the media at some point this week. I, can you imagine how that's going to unfold? I mean, Sean Payton has been so happy to throw everybody else under the bus. Yeah, hey, this is the guy who, you know, signed these contracts, put us in this crazy salary cap situation. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself, George? Um, no, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, presser, and it, I, I'm actually curious to hear from Greg Penner, a guy who has a solid business acumen. And, and I, I think one of the questions I, I want to hear from him is, how much are you willing to invest based on what we saw last offseason when the Broncos were the biggest spender mm-hmm. in free agency? The biggest. What, yep. Glad you brought that what, up. What does this look like from your perspective? You, you've, you've added improvements, right, to the stadium. You, you've put in several new turf uh, fields, you know, at yeah. Mile High when the turf was suspect. You, you're now embarking on this multi-million dollar renovation of the practice facility. How much more money are you willing to throw at this without getting an outcome which is positive? And, you know, I, I, I don't know which way he's going to go because, look, everybody in Broncos country has been so happy to spend money for the Walton Penner Group. Oh, well, they'll just open their checkbook and build a new stadium. They'll just do this, and they've got deep pockets. That family, that ownership group did not become billionaires many times over because they didn't know what they were doing financially. They're very shrewd businessmen and businesswomen. And I'm, I'm curious to hear what he may say to that. How invested will they be moving forward when they're not getting returns? And look, this is an ownership group that has been, you know, in the fold for less than two years. But this has been a circus from Nathaniel Hackett. Yes. Uh, that whole, you know, yes. mess, which they in fact inherited to George Payton saying, Hey, I traded for this great quarterback. Let's give this guy a quarter billion dollars to stick around another five years. Well, um, you know, yeah, this- but, but once they made the trade, the trade was the mistake. The trade was the mistake because you could hardly trade for him. And then three months later declare that, well, after two years, we're going to let him walk. We're not, we're not going to give him any sort of extension. Sure. We'll just let him walk after two years. Well, it once you had traded for him and listen, There were people, I wish I had listened to those people uh, a little more quickly than I did, uh, who said on the night of the deal, giving up three veterans, forget about the picks. It was a fleecing of Denver by Seattle just on the basis of the vets they got. It was a better deal for Seattle. Forget about the five draft picks. And I'm not sure this trade for Sean Payton is going to work out all that much better. They gave up multiple draft picks to get Sean Payton. And I'm sorry, yeah, the owners spend the money, but if Sean Payton wasn't leading the way in free agency, I'm wondering who it was because it sure as hell wasn't George Payton. <laughs> I mean, he's got no more influence than the three of us. Have. Well, let me ask Let me ask this. I want to phrase this to both of you guys, and I'll let you answer it first. Yesterday, Adam Schefter uh, put it on social media, and you know, Shifty's worked in this town for a long time. That 
uh, he originally posted that Sean Payton would make a decision on George Payton in relatively short order. He amended that shortly thereafter, saying Greg Penner will make the decision and Sean Payton will have significant input. <laughs> so someone from the Broncos PR to, you know, media relations department got a hold of Schefter and went like, oh, no, no, no. let's uh, let's 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 fix that a little bit. But in the end, you know, maybe the correct way of of I, I can help them with the headline. I'm you know I was an old sports editor. I'll help I'll headline writer. Greg Penner to rubber stamp Sean Payton's decision on GM George Payton. Better? Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. And I think we all know which member of the Broncos media team made that phone call and had that, that social media post change. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. Um, and you're right. And, and thank you for remembering what I said last week. I can barely remember it. But I, I, I stand behind the fact that uh, George Payton is, is still in the GM chair because I think Sean Payton likes having that guy to point the finger at. Um, yes. We know that Sean Payton is the guy who's calling the shots and there will be a day soon where Sean Payton can't point the finger at anybody else where this is your mess. Now you can, you can land in Denver. You can point fingers at the other uh, regime while you're sitting down with USA today, drinking lattes. You can point the finger at George Payton for this crazy contract or this crazy off, you know, bi-week demand that Russell Wilson acquiesced <laughs> to, you know, playing time. Well, on whose or, behest you know, do you think he did that? On his of own? Course. Of course of not. Cor- well, of course not. Yes. So, you know, the bottom line is you know, th- this is a slippery slope for Sean Payton, who I think would like to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. You know, eventually Absolutely. this is your issue. Absolutely. And, you know, we can, we can point fingers all you want, but, you know, this is his baby. We'd be fools not to know exactly who it is that's making the calls there at Dove Valley. And it is Payton, but it's not George Payton. And uh, Greg Penner, like I say, I'm, I'm very curious to hear from him and, uh, you know, his vision for where this football team moves forward because I, I think we could be looking at a one- or two-season rebuild where, you know, eight wins looks good. Yeah. Because I, I just, without a quarterback, I, I again, I just <laughs> don't know where they go from here. You've got, in this conference, a 10-17 and 17 in Pittsburgh that was outscored by 20 points this year, scored 53 fewer points than the Broncos scored, and finished two games ahead of the Broncos over a 17-game season. I just don't understand, and maybe you can help me with this, why Sean Payton isn't coming under more criticism. Not that he is responsible for the sins of the past, as he has reminded us uh, more than once, uh, mm, either directly heart. or indirectly. This is not my mess. Yeah. But, yes, you were the leading free agent spending team in the NFL last year. You were the driving force behind that. And your team in an offense-driven league outscored the Steelers by 53 points and won two fewer games. That, to me, means that certainly Mike Tomlin remains one of the best coaches in the National Football League, but it means to me that Sean Payton, who's a 500 coach his last two years, last with New Orleans, first here in Denver, he's a 500 coach, 
looks like if it wasn't Sean Payton, past Super Bowl champion, we'd be saying he's overrated. And, and let me add to that, uh, the idea that, that Mike Tomlin and the Steelers at 10-7 and 7 were in a soft division. Three of the four teams are the seven of the playoffs. One yeah. AFC West team is in the playoffs, the Chiefs. Hmm. And, and the Steelers went 5-1, and one, if I'm not mistaken, in conference play. Correct. Which, which yeah. The, the it, well, in division, division play. In, in, in their division. division. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Division yeah. play. Excuse right. Me. In that right. division. Five in and that one. division. The best record Five in that and division. 5-1. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a fair point. And the answer is Sean Payton just arrived. Hey, guys, I showed up, and look at this mess. I mean, his answer is going to be, hey, I, I won three more games with the same cast of characters in that previous regime, and I got this thing moving in the right so, direction. So what? I, I mean, you started one and five, and as you pointed out, finished two and four, and had a five-game yep. winning streak, which looks like fool's gold in the middle <laughs> of it, right? And yes, who was the guy who was uh, apparently, according to what both Sean and I were hearing, and I think you were hearing some of the same thing, said after the Kansas City game going into the bye week, Remember that was around the trade deadline and there was a report out there, a national report out there that before the morning of the Kansas city game, he was going to trade everybody after the Kansas city game. He was saying, I turn this thing around. No, no trades. We don't need to make trades. We've got me. I've turned it around. We've beaten green Bay and Kansas city. That's the weird thing too, about this season that they did do against pretty good teams fairly well they were three and three against the top eight ranked teams in uh, dvoa they were zero and three against the patriots jets and washington and zero and five if you throw the raiders in yeah with two different quarterbacks (laughs) it's just it's a roller coaster and you're talking about a guy who wants all the credit but none of the blame none of the blame it just exactly it just doesn't work that way and what's staggering is i look at the schedule in front of me I mean, you beat a Kansas City team and a Buffalo team. It wasn't back-to-back weeks because there was a buy-in between. But but you beat them in back-to-back games. And then two games later, you beat a, a Cleveland team that, you know, to be really honest with you, I could see playing in the AFC Championship, if not the Super Bowl, if one Joe Flacco delivers because the defense is that good. It, it, it's just been such a crazy season with, with so many ups and downs. And you're right. I mean, if not for the turnovers, does this does this team run off five straight wins? I mean, the disparity in turnovers was staggering. And I think what which is most most puzzling to me is during that stretch, the Broncos didn't do a lot of turning the ball over and right. were able to, to win five games in a row. And it, when the schedule came out, those were probably five games that at most you would have them going one in four. So yeah, Sean Sean Payton's a curious character. He's the guy that wants to tell you he's one of the top one percent terms of intelligence uh, in the world, and he may be the top 10%. But, you know, the bottom line is he's got the cushion of, hey, this is my first year. I, I arrived. I dealt with whatever was in front of me. I've molded this team the best I could in, in, in my mind's eye of how a football team should look and how should, it should perform. And moving forward, trust me, it reminds me of the O'Dowd uh, quote, Sandy, and I'm sure you'll remember, and, and probably you too, Sean, Sometimes you got to trust the organization. Oh, That'll be the yeah. company line. 
right? Yeah. Well, this organization has had eight straight years of missing the playoffs, seven with losing campaigns, the longest stretch of both as an NFL franchise. You'll want to make sure you follow Arn on social. That's Arn Anderson, A-R-R-A-N, and Anderson spelled with S-E-N. At the end, check him out at Fox 31, and of course, as host of the Colorado Sports Night on KWGN Channel 2 as well. Arn, uh, always good to talk to you. Like I said, I, 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 I jotted it at the time. I think you've made the... The appearance for me of the season, we'll find out in the offseason, probably in short order, whether George Payton keeps his job or not. And uh, we didn't. Uh, well, you had it first. Thanks, my you, friend. You have hit on the only reason that they might keep him, and it's a good reason. <laughs> well, uh, cheers he to you all. Lattes all around. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful to chat. One for everybody. Guys. Remember, it's the second one to get you when you're talking the about those lattes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right. Happy Monday. Thanks, Arn. Take care, guy. All right. I was to talk to is, I think uh, it's I think it's disgraceful. He's, he's, we can't get a latte here in about 10 minutes when the national championship. National championship starts in just a little bit, and we'll talk about that in a bit as well. But we do want to pay attention to the Denver Nuggets, who uh, ended up losing a game to the Orlando Magic. Some questions about that. Um, some of them maybe, I guess you're not going to say you solve too many against the Pistons, who might be borderline historically bad but yeah. some interesting things to take borderline. away from those two games we'll break that down because the nuggets will uh, have a, a week in which they get a little more rest they have been really really heavily taxed in these early parts of the season schedule starts to break up a bit we'll check with the champs next to miley sports Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Nuggets can get the lead back right here. Reggie Jackson. And DeAndre Jordan turns back the clock. Woo! DeAndre Jordan. And that pass perfection, Scott. You thought Danny Bailey was running the throwbacks back just on the uh, ins and outs there. No, 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 no. DeAndre Jordan uh, gets it done with a slam that, uh, yeah, seemed like it was 10 years ago. The Nuggets cruise by the Pistons, 131 to 114. These were the kind of games by Nikola Jokic, Sandy, in which a few years back, pre-MVP Nikola Jokic, pre-champion MVP, pre NBA Finals MVP, Nikola Jokic, used to drive us a little batty when Jokic would attempt only three shots on the night, ending up hitting two of them, getting four points, 16 assists, ending up plus 16 on the night when you only score four is kind of uh, impressive. But now it's different because Jokic has a sense of what is needed. It's uh, Jokic's sort of superpower is that he knows exactly what effort is needed that night to win that game and one of the reasons despite his size despite the fact he just he kind of lopes down the, the court and all that sort of stuff that he never seems to be out of gas at critical moments is he seems to understand exactly what the moment calls for and not really much more he's really expert at saving his energy and this was another one of those games by example i loved what he said the, the other night because on friday night the nuggets were playing the back end of a back-to-back. And the night before in San Francisco, they were down by 18 points with a little more than six and a half minutes to play, came back and won the game. 
on a 39-footer by Jokic. Yeah. Right next to the half-court line. By the way, who who calls your play with uh, three seconds left? Send it into your six foot eleven center and let him create. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what you're talking about. The next night, much earlier in the game, it was about the middle of the third quarter. The Nuggets are up seventy eight sixty against uh, how should I put it? A depleted Orlando Magic squad. Ye- when yes. I say depleted, they were missing literally. I'm not exaggerating. Half their team mm-hmm. was out. Uh, they did have Wagner one of the two Wagner brothers, and probably at least now not as good as his Yes, that brother. would be Moritz instead of Franz. Right. Yes. Franz is her. Right. One, or sick or whatever. And Von Caro was the best player on the floor. He was unbelievable. 32 Triple and 11. Double and 10. And 10 assists, yeah. I mean, 10, 10 11 assists. 11. No, you had it right. Yeah. 11 assists, 10 boards. Yeah. yeah, he was terrific. And he, he was great. He had 40 points so they, the game before, they're, too. They're, they're up 78-60, and, you know, I'm sitting uh, watching with uh, some friends. in the uh, in Good seats. Nice, nice, quality nice seats, I'd heard, yes. Tickets uh, right at midcourt. Must very be nice. Good, very good tickets. You know, right so, here, you get a call. Yeah, well, uh, there was room in the suite. <laughs> oh, thanks. Rub it in. in That's cool. Happy Monday, Sean. Good. Go ahead. Um, but, but but I wasn't the person who. <laughs> I know get us uh, access into the suite. But in any case, I- I'm saying, you know, the halftime show, which is, you know, National Western Stock Show's in the right. nice halftime show. The halftime show is better than the game. And little by little, the Nuggets start, as uh, Johnny Most, the longtime voice of the Celtics, used to say about opposing players, fiddling and diddling. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of fiddling and diddling. And so it comes down to the last possession, and they're, in a position where it's somewhat similar to the night before, but, you know, they had to keep the game going. They had to make a shot. And they uh, run a play that Orlando and uh, Jamal Mosley, the former Nugget CU assistant. player, Nugget assistant right. coach, uh, under George Carl, which uh, may or may not have sat very well with the Nuggets after the game when he said, oh, George Carl was the greatest. I learned so much from him. I still text back and forth. I I'm guessing that uh, the Nugget Brass wasn't thrilled with his remarks. But in any case, he he def- he knew the Nuggets would use the two-man game with Murray and Jokic, and they defended it well. Jokic got the ball, but they, they gave it right up. The other three guys weren't involved, and uh, Murray ends up forcing a shot. doesn't go in, bad, and, yeah. they, and they lose again. Bad, a bad possession. Yeah, it wasn't good. The The... And the, the previous play, one as was, it was drawn was up, bad did not, too with a very bad pass by Contavious Caldwell Pope. Terrible pass. Appeared to be nowhere. And, terrible yeah. pass. Nuggets but, gave that one away. They they did in, in many ways. Um, but, you know, Jokic after the game says, hey, some nights the last shot goes in, some nights it doesn't. Yeah. Very similar to his reaction when they lost game two in the finals last year. Um, can't win them all. No. Uh, and um, it, this was one where I, I – I really, I didn't think there was anything to really worry about except the the strange nature of sports where you win a game you had no business winning on one night and then literally the next night you come back with a much easier opponent at home because the opponent is sick and injured. And 
you have an 18 point lead and you lose a game you had no business losing. Right. That's that's the NBA. And then you get Detroit last night, and you and I could have been 40 percent of the starting lineup, and the Nuggets would have won the game. And all uh, I would have done is passed it back immediately. Right. But you know what the bottom line is? <laughs> Whoever's open. You know what the bottom line is? You take I, it. out of out of the weekend. The bottom line is Minnesota is first and Denver is second in the West. And based on form, that's exactly the way it should be. Uh, the Nuggets on road win, home loss differential are three games ahead of Oklahoma City, three games ahead of the Clippers, six games ahead of Sacramento, three games ahead of Dallas, uh, five games ahead of New Orleans, and six games ahead of Utah. Utah is going to make the playoffs if they keep playing as well as they're I think been that's playing. possible too. And the Nuggets go to Utah on Wednesday night for the next. Here's game. here's my worry about the Nuggets, and it is minimal. I, I I agree with you, and I look at the teams that they're facing, and I think they have to beat the Nuggets. I'm more concerned with times. the Avalanche and what we yes. were talking about earlier than I am about the Nuggets. But there is there are some similarities, and that was a bad loss. That was a bad loss. That was a bad loss. It's. Length, Minnesota, Houston, Orlando, long, lanky front courts with active guys have given the Nuggets a little bit of trouble because they're okay with clogging the passing lane and trying to turn Jokic but into Oklahoma a scorer City alone. Is not long. No, Oklahoma City is just yeah. good. Here, here's but I mean, I, I do think the teams that have a, some length, that have young, active the, length, can give the Nuggets this, some trouble. This Orlando team is not long. They're a small team. Yeah, the besides team they fielded and, and the other Roger. night. Yeah, okay, but, he's but not Fonda's big. But Fonda's trying to guard Jokic. Jokic outweighs him by 60 pounds. Right. And he's, he, I, I mean, he made a spin move in the post. You may remember Jokic scored 29 and could have scored and, and, 39. Uh, but no, but I'm saying he made a move in the post around Wagner. didn't have anything to do with uh, height, length, weight. Anything it just, had to do with a great I, offensive player it's worth playing monitoring. against a defensive player who was totally overmatched. Here's the common thread, and this is, in my, in my opinion, I disagree with you a little bit. Okay, on this. this is what is more concerning to me about the Nuggets. The common thread: Orlando's beaten them twice, Oklahoma City's beaten them two out of three. Minnesota's beaten them in the only game between the two clubs this year, and Houston beat them three out of four. What do those four teams all have in common? It's it's not length. It's they're all four of those teams. All four of them are up-and-coming young teams that, one, aren't afraid of the Nuggets, mm-hmm. and two, are hungry to get to where the Nuggets have gotten to. The Nuggets don't worry about the Clippers. The Clippers are already psyched. Well, that's an if the that's Clippers the case, can't beat the Nuggets. The Nuggets aren't worried about Dallas. They've been beating Dallas so is it a to focus a pulp thing? for years. Is it as simple as a focus thing? The the, the Nuggets aren't quite up for the up for the shot they're going to get from these young guys. That are going to I give think them everything. it's more the other teams look at the Nuggets and say, "Why should we be afraid of them?" What, they, they haven't been dominating us for five or six years. At least the teams that are constituted now aren't they? But Houston's you, totally different. Do you think the Nuggets Oklahoma are taking those City's teams? totally different. Yeah. The Nuggets I, are taking I, I, them now, seriously? The other night, maybe not, because they had half their team out. That, yeah, the other night was a bad Orlando loss. Seriously, there was right. a bad loss. But Orlando clocked them in Orlando, and yeah, the Nuggets had sure all did. their guys. 
And Orlando had many of the guys Orlando, who by they the way, didn't have. The other fourth Orlando's the pretty good. Yeah. One, the Nuggets have to realize Minnesota's better than these teams they've been killing for years. And I'll throw Phoenix in. I'll throw the Lakers in. I'll throw Golden State in. I'll throw, uh, heck, even Memphis in, all right, mm-hmm. to, to an extent. They've been beating these teams, these players on these teams. They've been beating for years. These teams now are constructed differently. And they're saying we can score with them and we can defend them. And the biggest obstacle for the Nuggets is teams that are active, that swarm. Now, They didn't lose the game scoring 120 points the other night. They lost the game giving up 122. And I I would be willing to entertain the notion that it was just one of those nights where the Nuggets from three-point land were 9 for 33 and Orlando shot 17 for 36. And guys like Suggs and uh, uh, Anthony, Cole Anthony, right. the North Carolina kid, got, couldn't miss in the last quarter and a half of the game from the three-point line. So 17 for 36 versus 9 for 33, and you lose the game by two, you could argue that, hey, they just had a hot night from three-point land, and the Nuggets weren't making their threes, and the Nuggets got a little lazy and a little complacent when they were up 18. Uh, but Beyond that, I, I think that's what the Nuggets have to worry about. And I don't know where Utah fits in, except that Utah's rearranged its rotation in the last few weeks, and they're beating everybody. Yeah, they're well-coached. They're disciplined. They're a dangerous team, for sure. And uh, the, the Nuggets, it's, it's worth monitoring. They get a break in the schedule, though. They have really been taxed heavily when you look at back-to-backs, travel. The Nuggets have been among the league leaders and all of those. The schedule starts to free up a little bit. They don't play until Wednesday against those same Jazz, and we'll talk yeah. about them when they, that game. And they have some nice gets uh, road games coming up here against teams like Washington, and um, I guess I would have said Utah, but Utah is kind of dangerous. Yeah. Well, over at Superbook, by the way, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code Mile High, it's an easy one, right? You'll score up to two hundred fifty dollars with their first bet bonus. And that means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, the national championship game is about to kick off. And in case you're missing the Denver Broncos and the playoffs, and you know, after eight years, why wouldn't you? Uh, an interesting anniversary. Happens today. Well, you'll hear it next in Miley Sports. Don't know much about geography. Don't know much trigonometry. Don't know much about algebra. Don't know what a slide. Sitting in the morning sun. I'll be sitting when the evening comes. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Here we go. First snap of the overtime. The Broncos have been in three overtime games this year. They won them all. 
Got him. Got him at the 40. It's Thomas at the 50. Stiffer got him free to the 30, to the 20. Thomas to the 10. Denver's going on the New England. They win it on the first play of overtime. The new rules. You got to score six on the first possession to close it out. They do it on the very first play. First playoff first game. Play. Came down yep, first one. So, yeah, 2012 playoffs. Think about that. 12 years ago. Yeah, 12 years 12 ago. 12 years today. ago. And uh, the, the idea that if it were not for Peyton Manning, because prior to that, the Broncos had not had a playoff win for a long time. And then take Peyton Manning era, of course, which they won the AFC West every year. But then ever since, nothing. Justin Simmons' entire career. But, of course, Tim Tebow with the uh, game of his career. Talk about, you talk about 70, uh, you know, a- a- average per attempt. Tim Tebow threw for 316 yards on 10 completions. Yes. <laughs> 10 yes. touchdowns. Yes. QBR. Remember, QBR scale is 1 to 100. 96.7. He was great. He was great. And the interesting thing, uh, this happened during a time when, first of all, coaches were more accessible, uh, including head coaches. Mm-hmm. And in this case, a lot less arrogant than the coach we have now. So you could actually you know, talk to him during the week, and he'd tell you things, and it'd be off the record. But, you know, it was something you could file away. And um, I was talking with John Fox, and I can't remember if there were other people around. I don't think there were. And, you know, Fox had the habit. I, I You may have seen him do this. Uh, during that 15-minute session, we were allowed to come out and watch. Right. He'd come over and chat. Yeah. During during that period when the media was allowed to be Which, out again, there. shows you how valuable that period is when the head coach can just come around and chat with media members just for future for future reference everybody by the way yeah um but anyway i i think i think this was in another setting though uh because i i i think i was talking to him and i i I can't remember how the subject came up but i I, you know there was some rumbling because the broncos had lost their last three games tebow hadn't played very well and i said you know are you thinking about Brady Quinn at all this week. And he told me, he said, Brady Quinn's going to get about half the practice snaps because Tebow's on kind of a short leash. Right. At this point, you know, we've lost the last three games. And the the, the thing about the practice snaps is what stood out. You know, there's there's a point at which Quinn could come into the game. And you remember that game was odd in that the Broncos started badly and finished at the end of regulation not very well. Right. I mean, they had a lead, they blew it, and then, of course, the spectacular play that we just heard about is described by Jim Nance uh, in the overtime period. And I am convinced that Tim Tebow, early in the second quarter, had one more series to get the team moving, or else Brady Quinn would have come in. And... He got them moving, and they didn't stop moving until they had the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, Pittsburgh came back. Roethlisberger was at the 
height of his powers. Right, right. around that time, they had won a couple of Super Bowls with Roethlisberger, a quarterback. But that was Tebow magic at its best. And they had talked about that particular play in that particular situation during the course of the week, and they were ready to run it, and they knew that Pittsburgh would be vulnerable, and they outfoxed the great Dick, Dick LeBeau, LeBeau right? long-time Hall of Famer, uh, defensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, when you talk about the Mount Rushmore of great defensive coaches, you can make a case for Dick LeBeau, you can. Uh, who was not a great head coach but was a superior defensive coordinator, and they caught him uh, on a, a zero blitz Yep, and with man-to-man coverage, ran the perfect route, and Tebow hit DT. fired it in there to Demarius Thomas. On the run, he stiff armed. Uh, he still stiff armed one player running somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, in the so. heavens above. The um, yeah, the, the the great quote after the game, well, Willis McGahee, of course, who was the running back at the time, that described the play after the game, and um, <laughs> he described it as being able to see it, and he's quote, "I was like, oh my god, is he still running? Please just go, please, please." <laughs> End quote. Well, was he, he wasn't. He wasn't going to slow down. No, and you you could get a sense, uh, whether it's Jim Nance calling it or or, or Dave Logan uh, on radio. By the time he had made four or five strides, you knew yeah, he was, was gone. See you later. And it was the most exciting single play, I think, in the history of the Broncos in the playoffs. Now, the most significant. Individual play, uh, that would have been the helicopter, helicopter play. Of course. Uh, it symbolized John Elway at the age of 37 doing anything and everything it took to win his first Super Bowl and the first Super Bowl in the history of the franchise. That was more important. But as far as being spectacular and totally unexpected, and, and how about <laughs> imagine this? that the first play of overtime is. A Tebow pass, one of only 10 completions on the day. He averaged 31.6 yards per completion. Tebow's quarterback, or passer rating that game, 125.6. Yeah. Was and remains the Denver Broncos yeah. playoff for a playoff record. Uh-huh. And until they make one again, it's been eight seasons. Uh, no one's ever going to come yeah. close. And I don't know if. Jared Stidham or Ryan Tannehill or James uh, Winston or whoever, whoever they might bring get in anytime soon. Michael Penix. Uh, who knows? It's, it's obviously going to be a, a while. But, of course, the national championship game tonight. Uh, just underway. Just underway uh, out in Houston. Your thoughts on that, Sandy? I find it fascinating, if only because I look at Michigan and think, I, is there a more interesting corollary in all of college sports right now than a program that has twice been sanctioned for cheating this season going and winning the title. uh, New England Patriots were not sanctioned uh, multiple times in any one year, as far as I can remember. Twice (laughs) this season for Michigan. Michigan Twice, and uh, it's two undefeated teams. Uh, It was interesting to me that – on ESPN.com today, they had 48 of their correspondents pick the game, and 32 went for Washington. Um, I don't know what that means, really. Um, I, I like Michigan. But I do, too. I, even if you do think Washington has a shot, I, I, I out do. of 48 people, 
to have 32 go that way yeah. when Michigan's a favorite by five, six points, whatever it is, five and a half. Um, that, that was surprising to me. Um, I, I think in college, when you have a great defense against a great offense, it's not like the NFL where, where today the great offense is probably going to prevail. Right. Right. Look at Kansas city. For yeah. example, in its championship year. Yeah. So the Kansas city's defense is better than its offense this year. Kansas city's still alive. Don't rule them out just yet no. either. We no. want Patrick no, Mahomes they're, in they're, January. They're all, they may uh, figure it out. Yeah. They may figure it out. We'll see. Uh, but they do have to play this weekend. But, they do yep. play at home once again. But you'll have a but, team that either twice but, cheated to win the title yeah, or but, but the a team thing from is, a conference that's done. Do, do you agree with me that that in college football, particularly in this kind of game, that the great defense can overcome yes, the and great you know, offense and you know one of the reasons more it matters than it would happen in the NFL? One of the, the simple reasons it matters, and I wish the pros would adopt it, pass interference is a 15-yard penalty. Yep. You yep. don't run into that, let's right. try to draw some garbage yeah. flag yeah. late in the game. That's right. It doesn't That's right. exist, and that no. favors the no. defense, it and does. it equalizes and it. boy, Michigan can rush the passer. And uh, I think against Washington, boy, if, if Penix has time, I can see why maybe on that basis, 32 out of 48 people pick Washington. Well, Washington to will have to come back to do it. And, of course, uh, the game has started, but Donovan Edwards of Michigan, uh, uh, basically a – run to the left, kind of in between the guard and the tackle, well-blocked, 41-yard touchdown. Michigan Uh-oh. takes the early 7-0 lead. Of course, the game underway down in Houston. We have to call it a day here ourselves. The Broncos season comes to an end. We'll find out more about their future this week when it comes to uh, a lot of things as the NFL moves along. Of course, the playoffs are underway. The Broncos will be watching it yet again. The Avs tonight. We have no coaching search, though. This uh, no year. coaching search. No coaching search for a while. You can you can put a pin yeah. in that one. The Avalanche take on the Bruins in about uh, an hour down at Ball Arena, a game that is more important than you might think. We'll pay attention to that tomorrow, too. We have to step away. We'll be back in about 22 hours, but the, you don't have to go anywhere. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything work. This is My Life Sports. Let the music